1: Right now in Options Action, a Friday fade, stocks closing deep in the red, and the major averages now riding a three-week losing streak will drill down on where to go from here. Plus, Apple's next big reveal ahead of next week's big iPhone event will chart the next move for the tech giant. And later, a look back at Lululemon, up more than 6% on the back of earnings. The professor is here with what you should do next with this trade. Plus, we're taking your tweets, helping you risk less and make more. I'm Courtney Reagan in this evening for Melissa Lee, and this is Options Action, live from the NASDAQ market site. On the desk tonight, we have Carter Worth, Mike Coe, and Bonawin Eisen gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Let's begin tonight. We had yet another Friday sell-off and another down week. The S&P falling four out of five days and finishing down over three percent for the week. The financials getting hit even harder. Shares of the S&P bank index down almost four percent. The chart master here now to lay out where one hard hit name in the sector is heading from here. Carter, what is the chart telling you?
2: Sure, we're going to look at Capital One, but before we get to the charts, just as a follow-on from last week, where we drilled down on regional banks and REITs and other rate-sensitive areas of the market, we know that really the big news this week was that both two-year yields and ten-year yields, after showing quite a bit of life, really faltered here at the end of the week. And basically, lower yields, it's not good for financials in principle, but also we're seeing, we've seen this in the quarterly reports of the big banks, loan loss provisions are starting to tick up as as the operators of these uh, enterprises get ready for the presumptive quality deteriorating in the, in the loans they have. Let's look at Capital One, which is not a high quality, um, if you will, lender, uh, lower quality than many. Uh, just a few simple charts. We know this, that this was a huge winner off its COVID lows. $38 on the low and it hit 178 in August last year. Almost a five-bagger. And now, down some 43%, it's exactly a 50% retracement. But does that mean it holds? No, I don't think it does. The second chart, same time timeframe, um, shows or annotates the importance of the level to which it sold off. You're both at the level of the pre-COVID sell-off as well as the highs of 2017. And so there's a reason it's stopping going down, it's finding support, but it's not likely to hold. So let's drill down more immediately. The next chart is just the chart of Capital One itself, and it is an unrelenting downtrend. And it looks, to my eye anyway, that we're gonna break yet again and make new lows. And then finally, relative performance, which is one of the most important factors in investing. This is not a chart of Capital One that you see on the screen, it's a relative strength line. It depicts Capital One relative to, not the S&P, but the XLF, the financial sector. So what it's telling us is that we know Capital One is going down, but it's going down even more than its own peers or the sector in which it resides. Not good. We're sellers.
1: Hmm. The charts do make a strong case. Thank you, Carter. Mike, what's the trade here on this one?
3: Yeah, so it's, it's interesting. You know, when we deal with cyclical stocks and financials are cyclicals, they often look cheapest uh, at market tops and they look most expensive at market bottoms. And that is, of course, because of uh, the economic cycle that we have to deal with. Right now, if you just looked at it on a forward EPS basis, Capital One looks exceptionally cheap. I mean, I think right now the street's looking for about 20 bucks in EPS full year 2022, lower for next year, about 18 bucks. But even that is less than six times earnings. Now, one of the things that's interesting, of course, is what Carter pointed out about loan loss uh, provisions. And we did see an uptick between the first and second quarters for Capital One from about 680 million to about 1.1 billion. And someone might say, well, $400 million increase in loan loss provisions, that's only 0.1% of a $400 billion balance sheet. But I would actually flip that around and think about it this way. If you have, as we do, a weakening economy, what is the impairment that you should look at for that $400 balance sheet? And that ultimately means that actually a $400 million increase in those provisions is fairly modest. And real credit headwinds could see significantly more Uh, loan loss provisions going forward. And this is a company that has relied very heavily on, you know, intensive marketing, which many people who are watching now are probably familiar with. So my take on this, given the fact that the stock has already declined quite significantly and options premiums are slightly elevated as a result, is to look for a put spread. I'm looking out to November. I was looking at the 190 put spread when I was looking at that earlier today. That was going to cost me about two and a half bucks. And that's usually the number that I'm looking for, a risk reward relationship of payout of about three to one on the downside. Idea here that you're risking about two and a half percent of the current stock price if it does, in fact, fail to hold this sort of area of support that we've identified. And again, one of the things that's important to remember is that uh, you're always going to see companies looking very, very cheap. Uh, in situations like this. It's going to be a revision in the actual financials that are going to uh, basically bring truth to the price that you're seeing. Hmm.
1: Bono, I know that you're worried about pain to come. You're really heeding what the Fed was telling us. And if uh, Capital One is already exhibiting some pain, but the consumer may have even more cracks and credit gets even more strained, I can kind of guess what I think your take might be on Capital One. But you tell me, I don't want to put words in your mouth. (laughs)
4: <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I, I, we tend to be on the same page, so you know I'm I'm willing to let you speak for me anytime. You just let me know. <laughs> so there's a couple of things that stick out to me here, right? So so um, Carter pointed out the relative strength vis a vis XLF, and that performance tells you quite a bit. I mean, if you look at the performance year to date, it's it's down over uh, double what the XLF is. And then we talk about you know you, you mentioned pain. And uh, Mike mentioned, uh, he didn't mention it, but he alluded to value traps. And I think essentially that is exactly what Capital One is here. You know, you you really need to think about where we are in terms of the credit cycle and the economic cycle. Jamie Dimon and others have kind of come out and said, listen, we're expecting there to be turbulence going forward. And so you think about where Capital One is in terms of the hierarchy of these financial names, and it is probably or likely to be one of the first to show cracks. So I, I, I think a bearish trade setup going into that name gives you the best opportunity that if there is going to be credit erosion, that you're dealing in a name that's likely to see, uh, you know, have that first mover uh, disadvantage, so to speak, in terms of uh, credit erosion.
1: Okay. Well, from Capital One to Kroger, Mike's got a way to play the supermarket stock for some grocery names. Mike, what are you doing here with Kroger?
3: Yeah. So, I mean, it, Kroger is kind of the opposite circumstance as mm-hmm. uh, a financial like Capital One, which is probably lower on the demographic scale in terms of the creditworthiness of their customers. We're talking about a consumer staple here. This is a low beta stock. It actually is relatively cheap as well, trading around 12 times full year, four bucks of EPS, give or take. The company has been executing well. I mean, they obviously have seen increases in costs, I think at a gross margin of about 21%. That's probably towards the lower end of the gross margin range, as we've seen over the last uh, 10 years or so, but quite reasonable. I think they're really executing uh, quite effectively, and they are focusing increasingly on digital. Now, we have earnings coming up. This is a name we actually own in our portfolio, and it is, as I pointed out, low beta. But we do have earnings coming up next week. That's going to present a potential catalyst for the upside And so what I was looking to do was uh, a call spread risk reversal with a little bit of a twist this time. So I was just looking out at January, I was gonna buy essentially the at the money calls, the 49 strike calls, those were gonna cost a little less than $4. And then I was gonna sell a nearer dated strangle against it, the 45.52 to be precise. Net, net laying out about $2.80 in premium. The idea here to capture the slightly elevated premium that you're gonna see going into a catalyst like this one, and of course, because it is a low beta stock, I think the downside risk of, having, of being put the stock at $45 bucks, uh, is a reasonable one to uh, take on, given the fact that the stock has actually experienced a little bit of weakness. We were uh, recently adding, actually, this one to our position.
1: Hmm, very interesting. Okay, so we're, we're moving from this financial name to this consumer staple name. Carter, what did the technicals, though, look like for the Kroger charts?
2: Sure, I mean, Mike makes the most salient point, of course, uh, of all the salient points, is that Kroger is low beta. In fact, just to consider this, Kroger has the same sales as Home Depot, and yet its market cap at 30 billion is one-tenth that of Home Depot at 300. It's because it's a low-margin business selling uh, sugar and rice and salt. But let's look at the charts. Kroger, since 1979, has paced the S&P. It's incredible. So here is just a one, two-year chart. That's the definition of uptrend, and the sell-off, we bounced right off that trend line. I've drawn the green arrow that way that you can see. Look at the second chart, another time frame. This is over five years. It's still a perfect uptrend. Look at the all-data chart, the final chart. It's a perfect uptrend. This stock, again, has kept up with the S&P since its IPO in 1979, but it's done it on a lower beta basis uh, and a very steady way. I think it's the opposite, of course, of regional banks, of Capital One. It's a place to be on the long side.
1: Very interesting name here. Let's turn our attention, though, to energy. The S&P oil and gas ETF having a nice bounce the last couple of months, up nearly 20 percent. And Bono has got a way to play the group for some high energy gains. We've already seen some nice moves here, Bono. What would you do now?
4: We have. And so, you know, Carter's mentioned it quite a few times. You don't always get a chance. You don't always have the opportunity to determine why the stock gets to a level that you're willing to buy it. But you need to be mindful of where you've kind of positioned yourself stops or kind of trigger points, if you will, in terms of where you want to kind of start to get long a name. And speaking of beta, this one is actually quite high beta. And that's the reason why I've chosen this over, say, a name like XLE. So let's get into the trade. I'm looking at the XOP November 145, 170 call spread. And I also have a twist. You have the option to finance this with a downside short dated put. So you're gonna buy this NOV 145 call for 1150. You're gonna sell the NOV 170 call at $4. So you're gonna risk 750 to make 25. So about a three and a third to one risk reward. So you're profitable above that 152 and a half mark or about 107% of spot. And so we have this down market, and it's ultimately a situation where this is an area where analysts are still constructive in terms of earning revisions. We have all types of geopolitical headline risk in terms of uh, you know commodity prices coming out of Ukraine and Russia. And so this is uh, you know an area where you can kind of try to buy on a pullback, and rather than just jumping in with two feet, this is a way for you to do it on a risk-defined, assuming that you don't sell that downside put. If you'd like to take advantage of higher elevated implied volatility, um, you can go on ahead and sell that downside put and finance that and make it even cheaper
1: hmm. mike what's your take here on bono xop trade
3: well i'd actually be comfortable selling that downside put i have to say that because i own xop right now uh <laughs> the, the underlying so that would be a risk that you'd face if you sold that downside put that you would own it at a lower price than where it's currently trading so uh, obviously if i own it then i'd be comfortable. that's the same as saying i'd be willing to buy it here as karen feinerman often says and so being willing to buy it at a lower price is even more reasonable. So I think a call spread risk reversal the way Bonowin's looking at it makes good sense.
1: Got it. Well, still to come, we're gearing up for Apple's big launch. It's next week. It's the first in-person event since before the pandemic. Our traders will lay out what to expect from that stock. And for everything Options Action, check out our website and newsletter. There's more Options Action, though, right after this. Welcome back to Options Action. Mark your calendars. The biggest day in tech is coming up. Apple set to announce the iPhone 14 this Wednesday at its first in-person event since before COVID. What should you expect and how should you play it? Bonoan, Mike Co. Carter, you're all here to help us tackle this tech titan and upgrade our portfolios. Mike, let's start with you. This is such an important company, really, to the broader economy and the market.
3: Yeah, I mean... It's interesting because, you know, if we just take a look at the company from an operating standpoint, in many ways, it's almost the ideal company to be involved in, in the current environment, which is, if you have rising rates, you want to be in sort of low-duration equities, companies that are generating a lot of uh, income and a lot of cash flow now, as opposed to buying those growth companies that might have negative earnings and negative cash flow now, and are really just a prospect on the future. The problem that I have with Apple is that at 25 times full year uh, earnings for next year, so let's just call it 100 billion in round numbers, $2.5 trillion market cap, it's not particularly cheap. And that's really where we find ourselves in a little bit of trouble, because it's not going to grow at the same pace that it has historically. And for a long time, that was the real attractiveness that we saw in names like Microsoft and Apple years ago. Remember when they were all trading at material discounts to the broad market on a basic premise that the companies have become so big that they couldn't grow much further. Well, that part still remains true, but they're not trading at a discount to the market anymore. To me, I think the cash flow story supports it, but the multiple is a bit of a resistance on the on the upside.
1: Hmm. Carter, what are your thoughts on Apple? Are you looking at this through the chart lens, our chart master?
2: Well, that's, that's the lens I have. So um, <laughs> the, the issue is this: sometimes, and I think there's no other way to say it, a stock isn't necessarily at an inflection point. When it was stretched and uncorrected, Come off 30, up 35% off its low, double the S&P, it was stretched, but it has sold off 12 almost 13% now. And so pressing it short here seems a little bit um, overstaying. But on the other hand, buying it just because it's down 13%, that doesn't quite seem like a technique I would want to pursue. I think it's kind of where it belongs. If one has to be directional. One has to trade it. I'd rather be short than long.
1: Hmm. Bonwin, how about you? What's your take on Apple?
4: Uh, Well, you know, we've alluded to it quite a bit in the past, and Apple tends to and, and Mike again mentioned the cash balance. That is kind of presented itself as a margin of safety. And so I can understand the argument in terms of flying to quality in turbulent times. With that said, you haven't really seen the pullback in this name like you have a lot of others. A lot of other ex-high flyers. You talked about fang stocks. Apple has not suffered the same downside type of movement that you've seen from other names that also generate high um, uh, free cash flow. So you know what, here, uh, again, I'm not here to trade for the sake of trading, but again, I find it very hard to be long at this current valuation.
1: Hmm. Yes, it is a very rich valuation. That is for sure. Well, coming up, we are stretching into one of Mike's retail calls. An update on his Lulu trade is next. And don't miss a CNBC special Back to Business. It's coming up right here after OA, but there's more options action still to come right after this break. Welcome back to Options Action. Last week, Mike laid out a way to play Lululemon ahead of earnings.
3: Lulu is a higher end demographic. It has a more resilient customer base. They're probably uh, more insensitive to economic pressures that we might be facing right now. And the other thing, big as the company has become, it still has a lot of uh, meaningful growth opportunities. I was looking at a one by two put spread. I was just looking out to September, the 310, 260s, buying one the 260s, selling two of the 310 puts.
1: Well, shares trending lower this week before a big jump on the back of yesterday's results. Mike, what are you doing with Lululemon now?
3: Well, we own Lululemon going into earnings, the underlying shares. Uh, as I previously indicated, we still hold it. It's been quite a roller coaster. Believe it or not, the stock is essentially unchanged week on week but one of the things we talked about last week was that I think the company's trading at a reasonable multiple to growth 27 times this thing grew 30% on the top line 33% on the bottom line year on year uh and I think they're demonstrating that they can execute uh, with respect to the put spread as a hedge and I think I misspoke there because it was really the 310 by 2 buying 1 310 selling 2 260s hanging on to that for now because I think it's still Represents a decent hedge to the downside between now and expiration two weeks from now
1: Okay, well Bono you've got a take on how you would play Lulu from here
4: Yeah, I'm looking at this slightly differently so it's like what do you do when you've had a name that's really made a move? You want exposure because you believe that one, the type of consumer that it services is higher end, uh, and two, it has, a, it has the ability to pass on inflation. So you don't want to chase here, and I want to minimize my cash outlay. So what I'm looking at is the Lulu October 275, 330 risky. So I'm selling that put, And I'm buying that call for a cash outlay of about three and a quarter. So all in about 1% of spot. Um, You know, you you don't really start to participate on the upside up until 110%. And your downside is that you buy the stock down at about a 15% discount, actually a 14% discount because you've made the 1% cash outlay. So that's the way I, I tend to look to play names that have already had a significant move. I believe in the name, but I don't want to feel like I'm chasing the move late to the party.
1: Okay. Yeah, it has had a move, Carter. When you look at the charts of Lulu, what does it tell you?
2: Right. So uh, the roller coaster uh, expression that Mike used really characterizes it. This was a stock that, before the earnings pop, was down almost nine percent, and then uh, saved by the bell, if you will. Mm-hmm. But still, um, it's it's burdened. It has overhead supply. My hunch would be to take advantage of this reprieve in a stock that's been struggling for quite some time and just exit.
1: Okay, exit. Lulu up almost 7% there. Well, up next, your tweets and the final call. Welcome back to Options Action. It's time to take some tweets. Our first fan asks, quote, I owned the Tesla September 2nd, 273, 261 vertical put credit spread growing into the close. If Tesla drops below 273 in after hours, Am I at risk of assignment? Mike, what do you think of this one?
3: Uh, This is an excellent question, and the short version of this is yes. And that is because there is a narrow window of time after the markets close when options traders can file something called a contrary exercise advice. And so on expiration, it drops below the short strike that is a possibility. Of course, it's only going to be sophisticated options traders who are going to do that. Member firms have a slightly longer window than customers do, but it's an important consideration.
1: Thank you, Professor. Our next tweet says, quote, I think that the chip sell-off is a little overdone, and I'm looking for a bounce from NVIDIA. What do you think of a September 30, 135, 150 call spread? I picked some up today for $6.30. Carter, what are your thoughts on NVIDIA?
3: Well, you've
2: targeted the right level. I like the 135, 150, but I don't like the stock, right? The gap down from two days ago. The question is, are semis in a position to bounce? NVIDIA is acting worse than semis, and semis are acting worse than the market. I would just uh, be inclined not to be long or involved in NVIDIA.
1: Very quickly, our last tweet asks, quote, Would you buy UNG, the natural gas fund, and sell calls against it? Bonoan.
4: I would, but I'll keep it quick. Uh, short dated and upside. Uh, there's too much geopolitical turbulence for you to get called out of a position.
1: All right, got it. It is now time for the final call. Carter, kick us off.
2: Selling Capital One, COF. Buying
3: Kroger, KR. And Bonnwin. Selling Capital One as well.
1: Okay, and finally, Mike Co.
3: Use put spreads on your Capital One and call spread riskies to get long Kroger into earnings.
1: We covered a lot of ground, and that does it for us here on Options Action tonight. But we're back next Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. Don't go anywhere, though. A CNBC special Back to Business starts right now.